Would you like to reach our film and TV review podcast audience? Do you have a product or service of interest to film and TV home consumers or followers of the entertainment industry? Have a film or show production to publicize? For affordable price plans for all budgets, get in touch and find out about our introductory advertising options. Reach our audience of film and TV viewers and visit our site contact page at filmandtvreview.com, or you can email us at business at filmandtvreview.com. Reach out today. Welcome to filmandtvreview.com. Catch the latest film, TV and streamed show reviews every week. The views and opinions expressed by the authors and those providing comments are theirs alone. They do not reflect the views, opinions or position of film and tvreview.com or their respective parent companies or affiliates. Film and tvreview.com makes no representations as to accuracy, completeness, correctness, suitability, or validity of any information in this program and is for entertainment purposes only. Episodes may contain adult humor and language. For full terms and conditions see filmandtvreview.com. Today is about obviously musical biopics in film and television. Anna, Richard, and yeah. Mark will be your co-host. But I thought I told you I told you that this is this is a topic that will create conversations. That's for sure. Or arguments. Okay. Is. Oh yes, yeah. Go, Susan. What did you want to say? Okay, hi guys. Well, hello. Hi, Susan. Hi. Yeah. So um, the first one was Love and Mercy. Um, yeah. It's a biopic of the um, Beach Boys. So we got Paul Dano back in the 60s. You got John Cusack as the slightly um, traumatized, disheveled, late Brian Wilson. He forms it starts off in a car showroom and he forms a relationship with his then-to-be girlfriend. He's actually quite a mentor throughout it. We kind of do some flashbacks and understand um, what's gone on with the Beach Boys and Brian Wilson. Who some of you probably a lot of you will know is the dry, sort of driving force behind the Beach Boys and the writing. And this joins him at this stage where he's um wanting to do create pet sounds. So, you know, the sort of seminal album, a little bit with that wall of sound, that kind of Phil Spector type feel. And um the Beach Boys are kind of like, hey, what's wrong with the rest of our sound? You know, we're the Californian sound, you know, what's what's the matter with that? So on this album is um God only knows what I'd be without you. And uh Obviously, you know, the rest is history. So everyone kind of knows these tracks and everything. But yeah, it's kind of like, it's the kind of descent. We start to understand about his life. He starts to descend into a bit of a drug haze because he just feels misunderstood and just sort of can't get that creative talent across. So yeah, I mean, I really liked it. I thought Paul Dano, Paul Dano and John Cusack are very different actors and physically sort of quite different. Not, it's not like casting is like, oh, wow, look, he looks so much like Brian Wilson. Uh, but you do go with it because... You know, it's a good story. And um, yeah, I, I liked it as a biopic. And then you also get bits at the end, which is always good to, to sort of validate it 
to say, yeah, this this did happen and this is what happened to Brian Wilson and he's still doing this and he's done that. And so it wasn't like um, sometimes you get this kind of based on, you know, based on true story and then you wonder how far they go a bit off piste, you know. Um, then yeah. you go back on Wikipedia, can't you, and <laughs> check out the facts and see what happened. Uh, but, yeah, this was quite this was quite faithful, quite good acting. And, uh, yeah, I liked it. So the second one was um, What's Love Got to Do With It? Story of Tina Turner and Ike Turner. And um, so you've got uh, Lawrence Fishbourne, most memorable for people, I suppose, in The Matrix. But he's always quality. He's always good value. I love him. And Angela Bassett as um, Tina Turner, full on, you know. Uh, yeah, cha- not cha- challenging in a sense, because obviously it's quite, you know, um, full on some of the scenes, you know, and obviously um, he does sort of violate her and what have you and stuff within the marriage and things. So yeah. it's, um, yeah, it's difficult, but you see her sort of um, coming through the other end. And, you know, if you know the story, it's pretty faithful to what happened in real life. So you sort of know that there's a silver line and she goes completely different um, areas, a lot of kindness along the way that people kind of help her out where it could have got a little bit um, difficult for her. So, yeah, I really like that. I like those films as well. And also Jason mentioned as well about The Doors, and uh, it's very, it really sucks you in that film because it's very, um, very trippy at times, isn't it? It's well done and Val Kilmer. I'll, I'll just mention that before, so, I, before yeah. I go because I'm not going to say about period. But yeah, uh, yeah The so, Doors, definitely. Uh, Oliver Stone's 1991 and uh, Val Kilmer, seen the title role. He's definitely, you'd almost say, not acting, he's almost channeling uh, Jim Morrison, uh, but it's just so uncanny. But it's, it's a very good, just more of these, typical of these biopics of the, very fast rise and fall of um, singers and bands when and the pressures that they come under and because they're kind of artists in nature but some of them they're some have a bit more of a fragile uh, psyche but um, it's kind of like it's, it's almost exciting to watch their rise but then when you see their fall it's like for, for this for that but it's uh, again Vakim a great performance and I think Karma Clacklin as Ray properly, but um, a great band of the 60s and definitely made that sound and very much counted counter culture and kind of sound of a generation at that point but um just just kind of like almost like watching a roller coaster or a car crash almost because like it's slow motion it's uh, but it's great and it's Oliver Stone so you can always expect kind of interesting interesting movie coming out from him um I think that's it I mean I think I can see James's hand so maybe hand over to him for his uh so I finally got around to watching What's Love Got to Do With It after like 28 years. It's always been on my to watch list. And it's quite, before streaming, it's quite difficult to get hold of. It was never released on Blu-ray and stuff. Um, and obviously it's got an 18 certificate, which it still feels like it earns. It's like like the scenes of domestic violence in it are really tough to watch. Um, and I don't know if they do that now i think there'd be pressure from the studios to say oh we want this to be accessible to everybody you know it's a tina turner biopic we want everybody to come so we don't want like a real hard r rating on it um angela bassett is fantastic in this i think she might i think her and Lawrence fishburne both got oscar nominations for it um and deservedly so um there's a really great start scene where you see her as a child at, um, at church and she's thrown out of church because she's ad-libbing to all the hymns and stuff and I, I think that's just like a really nice introduction to her as a character and then it goes through that the one thing I really struggle with in biopics is when they're miming I know that Tina Turner's got a very unique voice but every time 
Angela Bassett opens her mouth and it's Tina Turner's voice. I really struggled to get past that. It sort of throws me out of the the film briefly. Um, and there's lots of films where they don't mime. Uh, obviously, Rocket Man, Notorious, Walk the Line, Respect, and In Control. Actually, all the the members of that play the band Joy Division actually learn how to play the instrument. So all the instrumentation is is uh, live as well. I noticed on what's I've got to do with it, that all the songs are credited to Tina Turner and Lawrence Fishburne. I was really surprised by how well it holds up for, for a film that's 28 years old. Uh, I, I, I don't really do musicals at all, but the only three that I've seen in my life I absolutely loved. Um, one of them is called Backbeat, the original uh, story of uh, Stuart White, Whitcliffe, Whitecliffe, can never remember his name. He was like the original uh, bass of uh, the Beatles. And uh, really, really, you know, when those films you see as a kid, you think it's going to be cool because it's about the Beatles. And I was a kid. And then when I watched it, I didn't actually get what the film was about. But of course, obviously, as a kid, you don't know. You're like, yeah, yeah I watched this movie. It's about the Beatles. And you watch it. And it, and it affected me so much. Like one of those films that I probably shouldn't have watched until I was 18. And brilliant movie. Absolutely brilliant. Uh, lifelong fan of the Beatles now just because of that movie. And uh what was the one? What was the one about um, uh, Freddie Mercury? Oh, Bohemian Rhapsody. Yeah, Bohemian Rhapsody. Absolutely amazing. Ever since I was a kid, I've been a fan of Queen. My mum was like, I think it was the only thing she passed on to me. But yeah, this like love for Queen, and I don't, I didn't really care which bits weren't weren't entirely like along the lines. The, the fact is, you love the movie. I love the movie. I love the characters. And if you educated one or two people to that person's life and his story and the struggles, then yeah, really good. In the end, it's not a documentary. Huh? I mean, every time it says at the end, based on the life or based on the book of, but uh, so I'm not sure actually, but. Being accurate is the ultimate goal. In the end, it's just to have a good entertainment movie. You know, that's, that's, that's what it is. I think. I think it, there is there is an element that you want the truth to be told about a person, whether there's good bits or bad bits. That's fair enough. So, like, yeah. there is that aspect of like when something when something was in a movie that isn't entirely true, or they portrayed this event as an event, and it was actually just like a like a thing that happened. Then you kind of do get a little bit like, well. But it like I said, be, yeah, it can be really good movie. The point of view of the screenwriter or the director, and you just accept it. It's just a point of view in the end. It's, it's art, you know. Uh, James, you want to say something? I think Rocket Man is is probably one of the best biopics, and I was really surprised by it. It really depicts well, I think, um, the struggle of someone being thrown into something that that they feel out of their depth. So he wants to be a musician. He wants to play music. What he's not prepared for is the fame and everything that comes with that and that sounds like a sort of cliched story maybe it is in a way but I think the way it's depicted in this that he's from a working class background um, and he's pushed into this world that he it just feels really terrifying to him and I, I think it's yeah it's really good I really love the sort of framing device of the film as well that it's basically him telling his story from from um alcohol anonymous or drugs anonymous counseling and he sort of goes in in this outfit and tells that because it allows you to jump around the timeline a little bit with Bohemian Rhapsody I mean I'm with Cody that I was a massive Queen fan growing up um and there's a really good documentary actually called Days of Our Lives pre-COVID I had a limitless car so used to go in and, and see films multiple times and I really enjoyed Bohemian Rhapsody the first time and then the second time I was sat there watching it and I was getting annoyed at as a fan, as uh, all the little details that were wrong. 
at the start. And then at the point when Mike Myers turns up playing a character that isn't even real, I went, actually, let it go, James. Don't worry about it. Just get into the film. You know, just enjoy the film and the music and the, the story. But yeah, watching the film, I mean, the thing about Queen in a way is their story isn't that interesting. Like a lot of the story is just they did really well. And that isn't a, a, a sort of underdog story. It's got no no interest. So I do actually think with Bohemian Rhapsody, there are there are issues with that film. But I think the, the, the structure that they come up with actually makes for a more entertaining film. The information is out there if you want to go and find it um, about what actually happened in, in what order. But when they juggle things around to make it a more compelling story, um, yeah, I don't, I don't think there's anything wrong with that at all. It's just a very, very enjoyable biopic, yeah. I, don't, yeah. I, will, I will say that I often don't really believe what I'm seeing on screen. So I kind of feel like I'm watching maybe almost like if if Kevin Feige did a Queen film and just went, here's the source <laughs> material. Here's the source material. Here's the source material. Just try and make do the best you can with it and make it so that it's structured yeah. like a proper film, that, a blockbuster film. And and it does that does that very well. Um some and sometimes the cast as well they're really good the guy who plays the bassist john deacon is actually the kid from jurassic park isn't he yes, grown up yes, yeah yes, um but but sometimes i feel like they've gone for people who look so much like the the characters that it's it's almost like you didn't need to do that and like dress them up because it looks a bit like cosplay but yeah it's 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 a good fun film exactly. i think the only thing that people yeah. drew some issue with is the fact that they moved freddie mercury's aids diagnosis and sort of changed that that thing but the other thing with these films is this is an official film so this is signed off by the band and yeah. i think this is the problem that you get with some biopics is where they feel sanitized is because they've got to do that to get the rights to the movie there is actually a bowie biopic that was um terrible by all accounts and there's no, no bowie music in it because they couldn't get the rights to it and it's sort of like well nobody really wants to go and see that do they if there's none of the songs in it so they do have to make the, these concessions to to um and that means you get a slightly more sanitized film sometimes yeah uh yeah just to follow up what you said james uh actually i uh i'm a big queen fan well, again it's like everybody's a queen fan but it's true actually, I, uh, i've been raised listening to queen all the time i kind of didn't like this movie to be honest surprisingly uh because there are there are a few things uh, what you said actually i was thinking the same thing while watching it the story itself is boring, in a way. It's just actually because yeah. the story we know that actually they are one of the greatest rock band of all time, etc. But and we just, I mean, it, this movie was made in my opinion for people like me who love to hear the songs of Queen. And now when I watched the movie, I watched it only once in movie theater. People were almost standing up inside movie theater, dancing and singing, oh, which is fine. People were clapping when it, I saw it. Yeah, it's, a, it, yeah. It's, a great, it's a great experience. It's a very great. Uh, like a community almost uh, and uh, you have you, you share like a mini concert inside the cinema but as a movie itself i'm not, i was not really convinced um yeah, i, 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 I know i that, know what you mean yeah yeah uh, you see what I mean? because there is no stakes in it that's the expression and yeah and uh, i think the, the thing with freddie mercury that's really interesting so he was raised in zanzibar yeah and become a like an immigrant and come into the UK and then become a British citizen. And that yeah. seems like a really interesting thing to explore. And then, and, Obviously, and they that's just before... mentioned it the father for five minutes and that's it. The immigration part is just five minutes. In my opinion, that's something that I always thought. An actor or an actress who is only 
portraying a musical legend, let's say on screen, for me, this is not, uh, not challenging. It is a, a, a good job, obviously, but they, they don't create anything. It's just mimicking, in my opinion. They are not try- the only thing that they do in that case, I take an example. There's a French actress that everybody knows called Marion Cotillard. The only Oscar that she ever won was for a movie about Edith Piaf. In France, it's like she did an amazing job because she was Edith Piaf. And I was thinking, but yeah, but she must have, what she must have done is watch hours and hours of Edith Piaf, Edith Piaf footage and try to do exactly the same. For me, this is not how I see it, not how I see acting. But, but and that's what I, I heard someone sort of talk about the Oscars one year and say that it, this seems to be a theme actually with the, um, with the best actor and best actress nominations that it's often given someone who's depicting someone else. It's and they yeah. say that it's almost like the Oscars can't understand a good performance unless they've got something to compare it to. So it's almost yeah. like they yeah. show, see the real person then go, Oh yeah. And they look a bit like that person. So we're giving the actor rather than yeah, but- like an original performance, but, but they're both valid, but yeah, there, there does seem to be a bit of a bias maybe towards those. Oh, it's a opinion, but yeah, but, uh, uh, let's try to, uh, chat with someone else. Um, Amy, and, you want to give us okay. a recommendation? Uh, well, I agree with a lot of stuff that was said about Bohemian Rhapsody. I think everyone knows by now how much I love that film. I agree with Jan about how Rami, I think he really does embody Freddie Mercury, and whether he looks like him or not, I think he definitely did the homework and he definitely, you know, took it upon himself to do so much research to the point of, I think he actually um, kind of looked at Freddie Mercury's own heroes like Jimi Hendrix and Liza Minnelli and saw how they moved to interpret how Freddie would go on to move because of the things that he was seeing. So I agree there. I also agree that yes, it probably should have been more of like called Mercury or something rather than Bohemian Rhapsody <laughs> and focusing on you know, Queen, because... Mercury is a good name, actually. <laughs> yeah, because no, yeah, Bohemian Rhapsody that. is just like, what's the most famous song we've got? Let's just call it that. <laughs> yeah. than... I think that's kind of why, because so many people say, oh, what was that Freddie Mercury film called? Because you do think <laughs> yeah. it would be like something to do with him rather than the band itself. Other than that, I looked at people's recommendations and Walk the Line came up a lot. And... um I think because, <laughs> again, I love Bo Rap so much, I kind of looked at it through the lens of that, but I think I really enjoyed it equally as much in different ways, and I was so surprised that Joaquin actually was singing. I did not realise that yeah, that yeah. was him. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. as was Reese Re- 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 Witherspoon yeah, as well. Exactly. I think she got an yeah. Oscar for that, yeah. Yeah, I was so surprised by that. <laughs> I thought, he's actually yeah. got a, he's actually got like if you look on his wikipedia he's got like a history of it he did like singing as a kid and stuff he's like yeah, he's actually got a really good say, voice yeah, yeah he had to have had either adequate training for that or a history in it to do that yeah i thought it was brilliant and surprised that i suppose you can tell that it might have been a bit of an older one because it was kind of more true to what was going on and more before like hollywood you know, looked at, oh, wow, biopics are doing really well. Let's go down that route. Like you said, you can never be, like, completely carbon copy unless you've had a voice transplant. But, you know, they're pretty close, aren't they, to, like, the originals plus their own sort of um, uniqueness as well. But, yeah, definitely. Yeah, and I enjoyed- you got to think about the actor as well, the uh, Phoenix. Like, he, he did three roles within the same period of time, within that four years. And, and went from, like... 
like normal average weight for his size to like overweight as uh, as cash and then the other movie he did was like he lost six stone like absolutely skinny like almost on death's door like talk about talk about like endurance and uh, dedication to a part like he actually put on like four stone to be cash didn't he i did check out rocket man and this is going to be completely unpopular i didn't really like it that much um, <gasps> i know <laughs> i i think his portrayal was amazing i think it's just because i don't have too much of a connection with elton john and i also found the musical aspect just a little too much like i okay. just kind of wanted them to stop singing and just tell the story <laughs> What else was the? I'm uh, more interested in the because obviously it was a really good movie. And it was about a character I really like. So to to for you to come out and be like, I didn't really like it. I'm more interested in the to like give me more aspects of the things you you didn't like about it. Co- Cody won't let you off the chat. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> good luck, good luck no, Cody's good luck like, explain me. yourself. <laughs> I didn't. No, I don't mean it like that. Honestly, no, no, right. we're joking. We're joking, Cody. We're joking. Yeah, I just think that I didn't understand the kind of timeline of it. It wasn't completely clear to me, and the fact that you know the family members started singing as well just really threw me off. I think I think he's he's upfront about the fact he was on a lot of drugs during the seventies. Mm. So I think that's where they get away with it, sort of zooming around the timeline, is that you get the impression he can't really remember. He's got fractured bits of memory, and it all seems a bit surreal to him and like a bit he doesn't quite know where he is. I think there's a bit where he falls asleep and then wakes up in a hotel room or something. I might have might have got that from another film, but <laughs> you think that's probably why it was. I mean, Amy Winehouse, that apparently that did happen to her. She would pass out and they'd just stick her on a plane and get her to the next next gig that she had to go because she's like their their cash cow, you know. And I think that comes out in some of these biopics as well, that when you're you're sort of providing a lot of money to people, people have got people put the financial interests ahead of your your health, you know. So particularly in the eighties, there's a lot of these people like Whitney Houston and and things where people were just wanting them to keep singing, keep singing whatever the cost, because that brings in the money. And actually, maybe someone if they'd have been better off if someone said to them, actually, do you know what you really need is like a holiday, a little bit of a break, take some yeah. time out and then get back to it. And actually, when you think Elton John's life could have gone very differently, he could have actually not recovered from this. You know, it looked like it could have gone that way. It could have been a much safer film, and I thought it was going to be. So I think I was taken by surprise by how daring it was. So Mark's got La Bamba behind him. <laughs> yeah, I do. Oh, yeah, yeah. That clue? Was what yeah. About? <laughs> yeah, I quite liked it. I thought it was all right, La Bamba. I hadn't hadn't really um, seen it or heard of it. Lou Diamond Phillips plays uh, plays the the, the lead um, lead role. Um, and yeah, it's it's not bad. It's, it, it, I felt it was a bit dated. I don't know if you had you seen it before, uh, Andrew, before this or uh, right? well, it's funny you asked that because mm. I never really watched it, but I remember when it came out, it was mm. kind of like a big thing, and it was kind of Lou Diamond Phillips kind of breakthrough role, and you also had actual musicians yeah. playing their like fifties counterparts, like Marshall Crenshaw uh, playing Buddy Holly or uh, Brian Setzer playing uh eddie cochran i think uh, summertime blues so uh there was a lot of big deal with that the idea of you know the then modern day musicians playing musicians from the past and so and uh, it kind of introduced a new generation to richie balance so i thought that was an interesting aspect because people don't often think about him 
uh, except, you know, they reminded him that he died in the same plane crash as uh, Buddy Holly, Big Bopper, the day the music died. So, and Mark's too young to remember this. I don't know if it was the same in the States, Andrew, but in the UK, the cover of La Bamba by Los Lobos was number one for about five weeks in 1987. It was like a... Yeah, it was so, very popular. Oh, no, yeah, I'm not too young. Hit. I remember that, James. <laughs> you do remember <laughs> that, okay. Seven. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, like I said, it introduced seven, a new yeah. generation to this music. I mean, <laughs> people didn't necessarily remember Richie Balance because he died so young. He was like 17. It's sort well, of like, you, you know, what would happen. That's all right. Yeah, so no. so, so yeah. we're the same age, Mark, but I've obviously aged yeah. a, lot, a lot worse. <laughs> 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 no, it's only, only from the, only the face is the thing that's... I'm not as annoyed as I'm not as annoyed as Los Lobos, who must be really annoyed that it's their biggest hit is the cover of the, the yeah. Richie Valens song they did. Yeah. yeah. Well, they appear in the movie. Los Lobos. Oh, do they? Oh, cool. Well, they they play the song like sort of like a folksy version. As, of the song. That has given me a great a great segue, yeah. Andrew, talking about um to this other film I watched called Telstar, where it's about uh, Joe Meek who predicted mm-hmm. Buddy Holly's death, and he was a um, producer who uh, founded, I believe, the record label Telstar. But it's quite tragic. It's, uh, again, based on a real story. My sister lived uh, lived in the place next door to where all this happened in the 60s. So it was happened in sort of Holloway kind of area. Um, and, yeah, he set up a record label. And he turned down many, um, like, opportunities to work with the Beatles and work with Tom Jones, um, kind of not really choosing to work with them. And he actually was going more and more crazy towards the end of his record label, the work with his record label. I mean, he was turning a gun on, you know, people he was working with. Uh, I think Chaz and Dave, one of the members, Chaz and Dave, one of the people who worked with, that was quite good. That was quite good from Amazon Prime. But Can I just I, say on that yeah, one, do you think that, yeah, like, you he really strikes you, doesn't he, like this perfectionist sounding mm, in the day with all yeah. the old school, you know, mm. slow tape and everything. And that kind of, like, mm. half of that perfectionism, plus his own mental health being mm. a little bit, you know, suspect to start with it's kind of did mm. a spiral doesn't he of decline yeah yeah i mean so that was that was a fairly good film but the one that i uh probably enjoyed the most out of the three that i watched was called music of silence again on amazon prime uh which is about andrea bocelli like so the the oh. opera yeah and that's really yeah. that's really good so um music yeah, of silence music, music of silence is called Susan. Uh, yeah and it's basically yeah, the story of Andrea Bocelli, how he goes blind uh, when he's quite young mm. and sort of learns to love music and how he ends up, you know, sort of working near along, you know, alongside Pavarotti towards the end of the film. He's, you know, his, his career is sort of going alongside Pavarotti. But yeah, this was my favourite out of the three films. This was really good. Yeah, really enjoyable film. That's my selection. So I will pass it over to maybe sort of like CJ. I didn't have much time to watch too many, but I did manage to catch... Uh, walk the line to Johnny Cash when that was mentioned. That was that was really good. I'm not a major Johnny Cash fan, but I think I think the fact that I liked it shows that it is actually a really good film. I think with some uh, musical biographies, you I think being a fan really helps. At least maybe just put gives you a one point increase in your rating. But yeah, Johnny Cash, I, you know, Walk the Line, I really liked it. I kind of have noticed a template with some of these music biographies where they have a tough childhood during their teenage years to kind of develop their skills and almost become a musical prodigy. They get discovered, they release records, they become rich and famous. 
they get addicted and then they they reach kind of rock bottom and then they get over the addiction and they have like a comeback with either new new look or a new sound. I've kind of noticed that some of the films do have that template. Even uh, Ray, the Jamie Foxx picture, which which I really like. I think it's probably my favorite of the autobiography films I've seen. Many just because I, I I like Ray's music and. I do like the way the film is shot and the way the story is told, even though it does kind of follow that same template. I think one of the films which I watched uh, just a while ago, which breaks the template of that kind of um, telling the whole story of the artist's childhood to success, is uh, Love and Mercy. Uh, it's about the frontman of, of the Beach Boys, Brian Wilson. You don't have to, I don't think you have to be a fan of the Beach Boys to like it, but the thing I liked about this film is that it's kind of set in just two periods, the 1960s and then also, I think, the 1980s. So it's these two periods of his life, and the film kind of bounces back between those two those two points. So the 1960s is kind of just him about, re- about him recording the album, uh, I think it's Pet Sounds. And then the 1980s is kind of him dealing with, I guess, um, uh, kind of him later in life and then him trying to find love and him meeting this woman and starting a relationship with her. And I kind of like how the film essentially just broke the mold. You know, it, it didn't start from childhood and then being discovered and then having to deal with addiction and all this stuff. It is literally just them. It is literally just focusing on one guy. Oh, I also saw um, Notorious. The, the autobiography about Notorious B.I.G. Um, it was okay. <laughs> I mean, I like Notorious B.I.G. as a rapper, but I think the actor who played him uh, was pretty good. He was like, okay. Although his, his rapping wasn't at the same level as like Notorious B.I.G. I just think he was he kind of felt like a bootleg version of it, like a, like a poor man's version of Notorious B.I.G. Uh, but overall, I thought the film was okay. I wouldn't recommend it, but if you're a big fan of Notorious B.I.G. and you like his music, yeah, so you can watch it. Quick question, uh, CJ. Uh, James was mentioning in the comments that you had Notorious B.I.G. is better than Straight Outta Compton. What do you think? Ooh, I think Straight Outta Compton is way better because I remember watching Straight Outta Compton and actually concentrated and thought like this is actually okay to like kind of follow along but I think Notorious B.I.G. kind of at times I kind of felt like oh why is this here what am I doing <laughs> watching this film and then like a, another Biggie song would come on it's like oh yeah now I remember why I watched this film. James you want to make a comment about this? <laughs> well I haven't re-watched them recently maybe I should watch them back to back what I do and I like <laughs> I really like both films um, I really like I think Jamal Woolard is the, the guy who plays uh, Notorious B.I.G. And again, back to the miming thing. He, you're right, CJ. He's he's not as good as as Biggie, but I like the fact that he gave it a go of actually doing the the material himself and doing it live. It and maybe I'm being a bit nitpicky, but the the thing that one thing that really grates on me in Straight Out Compton and even Twenty Four Hour Party People, which I rewatched last week is when they're miming on stage to studio tracks. Because when you go and see a band live or see anyone live, it never sounds like the studio track. It always You can tell it's live. And again, it just throws me out of the film a little bit. So I really like the fact in, in that that they do that. 
I think it's more focused on him as because it's just one character rather than the problems they've got in straight out of Compton of following multiple people. The one thing I will say about Notorious as well, though, the casting is brilliant. Everyone is a, all the actors, I think, are really good. Angela Bassett actually plays his mum. Obviously, we're talking about her in in the Tina Turner biopic earlier. Um, but you know, the person who plays Little Kim looks really like Little Kim. Everyone's really good. Yeah, you're right. The casting on Notorious is really good. Like Little Kim, Faith Evans, uh, even yes. just Biggie himself. And uh, but then, at first, because they they walked into the office, and then you see. Have Daddy P Diddy Diddy whatever in the office, and I'm thinking, wait, who's this guy? And then he's like, <laughs> yeah. find out, oh, it's yeah, Bob it's like, it's like, this? What? No, yeah. it doesn't. And actually, everybody okay. else, if you know that story, you're kind of immediately you go, I don't even need to know who that is because I can tell just from what they look like. Okay, um, let's try to talk to someone else. Uh, Ross, what are your recommendations? Today, I watched um, Get On Up which is the James Brown biopic starring Chadwick Boseman, which I thought was really good, although I, I think it's something that okay. I'll, need to, I'll need to re-watch and pay a bit more attention to because the, the non-linear narrative of the story can get a bit confusing. Like, with a lot of, like, things that jump around in time, they tend to pick, like, three, maybe four time periods to focus on. Whereas this, I think there's like six or seven time periods that they just jump from one to the next. And, and basically, the, in some cases, the only way you know which time period you're in is because of his hair. His hair is slightly <laughs> different. Yeah. Otherwise, it's really difficult to sort of keep a, keep on track with where, where we are in the story. But, yeah, I, I mean, saw that as well. Yeah, I, saw, I saw it as well get on up. And yeah, it, it's weird because it starts in the 80s and then it jumps to the 1920s and then it jumps to 1960 and 1980 yeah, and, then and then 1950s and then 1970s and the 50s and, and then yeah and it's it was really just like just jarring just to see him like kind of jump around and yeah, yeah it, it does make it really tough to kind of focus on like what but is going the, on here the performance was amazing. I mean, he, it's brilliant. It, it's, it's so amazing that it's actually sometimes difficult to understand what he's saying because he's got James Brown's voice down so brilliantly. And James Brown has a, a, a very unique voice that sometimes it was a bit, I was a bit like, what? And I had to kind of rewind it a little bit because I couldn't quite hear what he was saying. But the performance is, is sensational. I, I think... I, I mean, they, they obviously, they used the structure of the film for a particular purpose because he was it was him, basically him telling his story, but as an older man when he's not quite mentally all there. Um, and so he's sort of jumping from story to story. And, and so it serves the narrative. But I think as a biopic, it probably worked, would have worked a bit better as a more linear story. Uh, let's try to talk to Jeanne. I don't know if anyone mentioned um, United States versus Billy, Billy Holiday. Oh, yeah, that was a great film. I've watched it this week. Um, but yeah, I saw that earlier this year. It was nominated for some awards, especially for um, Andrea Day's portrayal of Billy Holiday. And I feel like that's kind of the best part of the film. The film itself isn't perfect. Um, I feel like the way that it's told, and we've talked a lot about like the structure of a lot of these musical biopics being quite predictable. I would say the only departure is the fact that Billie Holiday's story doesn't have a happy ending and the film doesn't shy away from that. 
um, it portrays that in quite a, a really sad um, way. But at the same time, it doesn't dehumanize her and it doesn't like make her look like an undignified character because she was plagued by this investigation by the FBI um, into like their, their movement towards, you know, drugs and um, going in on drug culture and all of that. Um, and this was all a, a facade to basically take her down because of her song Strange Fruit. Uh, which was this really powerful anthem about what was happening in the South at that time um, and how people, Black people in America were being treated and lynched and um, treated horribly, um, especially in the South of the US. And so she sang this song um, and oftentimes she was singing it to quite influential uh, white audiences who like enjoyed her other music. Um, but the authorities didn't like that because it was spreading this kind of message um, about truth, about what was really going on. And what they wanted was someone who was like a figurehead for propaganda um, and a distraction and, you know, someone who could stand in and say, look, like there's this woman of colour who's really popular and really successful and she's singing songs, you know, like she's palatable, basically. And when she started doing something that was less palatable, that's when it became an issue. And so, yeah, unfortunately, she um, fell down the, the um, path that we've spoken about a lot when it comes to musicians um, and you know, people who are really successful in this industry. Um, but like I said, the ending is truthful to that and respects that. But at the same time, she has this kind of standoff with the officer. Um, and I feel like it, it allowed her to have this very dignified ending. Um, but I do feel like ultimately the best part of that film is Andrea uh, Day's portrayal of Billie Holiday. That scene where she's singing Strange Fruit is like chilling. It's like, it, it's just otherworldly. Like she sang it so many times at this point during like the campaign um, for the awards. But that scene where she's singing it is just absolutely extraordinary. She manages to capture the feeling of Billie Holiday's um voice um without like mimicking it exactly because it's like you know impossible to do and again it goes back to what we were saying about a lot of these people trying to portray characters um who you have footage of in this case with Billie Holiday she was earlier on in the 20th century so there isn't a ton of footage of her um but I feel like Andre Day is able to capture her really really well and also introduced me to the um, musician, the singer herself really well, because I'm not familiar um, with Billie Holiday and her music. I wasn't familiar with, you know, the extraordinary accomplishments that she had. And I feel like this film does a good job of introducing me to all of that. And that's kind of the case for a lot of these films. Like I know some of you guys were talking about how you grew up with Queen and um, Elton John and all of that. I didn't. So <laughs> a lot of these films are just introductions to me. Um, sorry, my table is squeaking. A lot of these films are introductions to me and I feel like they do a good job of um, introducing us to the musicians, giving us a quick rundown of their story. But I like films like Rocket Man and Bohemian Rhapsody, especially Rocket Man though, because they recognize that it's a film, that it's entertainment and they just bring it. Like I, if you're watching a documentary, you're watching yeah. a documentary. But if you're watching okay. a film about like an exciting musician, a character, someone who like 
redefined pop culture. I want to see some of that in the film. And I feel like Rocketman captures that brilliantly. I feel like aspects of of Bohemian Rhapsody, especially the stuff that focuses in on Freddie Mercury, captures that really, really well. And actually, the two films were directed um, by Dexter Fletcher, which is interesting. And because of the whole Brian Singer situation, um, he left the project. So Dexter Fletcher was actually involved in both films. But I feel like because he was able to do uh, Rocket Man from the beginning, it has that sort of um, flavor to it um, throughout and is more consistent. Um, whereas Bohemian Rhapsody, like we've already talked about, has some issues. But yeah, I feel like that's what I expect from musical biopics. Just give me a flavor of the musician, give me a rundown of their story. If you can do it in a more interesting way, that's great. If not, then at least give me just razzle-dazzle at least give me you know like a sample of what they were about and really just inject that energy to make it a fun and memorable cinematic experience because otherwise I would just watch a documentary or I would read an article on like Wikipedia. There is a Billy holiday documentary that come out a couple of years ago just called Billy um, yeah. which I'm sure lots of Billy Eilish fans are downloading accidentally <laughs> and then going, this isn't, this isn't what I wanted. Um, but I really wanted to watch that after watching United States versus Billy Holiday. It's interesting that they hold that Strange Fruit song back, actually, because even if you know the song, you suddenly at the point that she sings it, you go, oh, yeah, there's been all this fuss about this song. And then to sort of put it right, it's almost to the middle or towards the end. Yeah, yeah. You just see it, it's like... This is what we've been talking about. And it yeah. seems like an amazing bit. Um, and I was going to say, I'm watching it twice. I agree, like, obviously, yeah, it's a, hor- a sort of a horrible ending. And then when I watched it the second time, I, I was really struck. I actually almost had the reverse reaction, which is uh, she has a bit of a defiant speech at the end. Yeah. And I kind of felt the other way, actually, when I watched it, even though, obviously, you know, she died far too young and, and what happened to her was horrible. But I was like, I suddenly really connected with what she said at the end. It's like, ha, that's, you know, that's like two fingers up to, to those guys. Um, it's worth noting that Diana Ross played Billie Holiday, apparently, in Lady Sings the Blues in 1972. Can't find this film anywhere. And by all accounts, Diana Ross is very good in it, but it's not a good movie, seems to be the consensus. But I would, I'd be interested to see that after watching United States versus Billy Holiday. And I'd certainly be interested to watch um, the documentary. I think it's interesting that now we've got several examples of these musical biopics where the portrayal of the main character is like excellent, but the film around it isn't necessarily the best. I think it just shows how difficult it is to write a film around these musicians um, and try to like conjure up a new you know, plots that makes it interesting and new. I think the problem is actually not only musical biopics, but it's biopics in general. I think it's something that I was trying to mention a few weeks ago. It's a personal opinion again, huh? but not everyone is interesting enough uh, to get a movie about him or her. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. In, my, in my opinion, people became famous in different parts of the world for different reasons, arts or whatever, but if you make a movie about every single one of them, I'm not sure that every time actually it will be fascinating to watch, to be honest. Uh, so on that note, thank you to my co-host Richard and thank you to all our attendees today and thank you to listening to the Film and TV Review.com podcast. Until next time, goodbye.
We hope you enjoyed this film and TV review.com episode. Catch the latest film and TV reviews, together with regular episode content from the world of film and TV every week. See you soon. Would you like to reach our film and TV review podcast audience? Do you have a product or service of interest to film and TV home consumers or followers of the entertainment industry? Have a film or show production to publicize? For affordable price plans for all budgets, get in touch and find out about our introductory advertising options. Reach our audience of film and TV viewers and visit our site contact page at filmandtvreview.com, or you can email us at business at filmandtvreview.com. Reach out today.